Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called Discerning of Spirits That War Against Us from Acts 16, verses 16 through 24 from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy. Well, I have a lot to come through, so please stand with me as we continue to walk through the book of Acts in, in your Pew Bible, if you want to follow along, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. should start with page 1099 and then to page 1100. Here we go. As we stand here at Urban Hope, we read the word. Here we go. It says in verse 16, and as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates, tore their garments off, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Today's sermon, we give you a heads up, will be sobering. It would also be very informative as it relates to the reality of the spirit world. The world that we cannot see with our natural eyes, but it is just as real as the physical world. This is very important for us to understand here today as millennials who are before me and Gen Z's and everyone else. Because the research from George Barner says that millennials are swelling the nation's fastest growing faith group, the don'ts. Those who don't know or care 
or don't believe that God exists. It's fastest growing among the millennials here in America. So you're talking about your neighbor, a friend, your college roommate, your homie, your girlfriend, or whatever else. They don't believe that God exists. Despite their claims that they are, are being a, they're still a Christian. I don't know how you get there, but they get there. Barner explained in his article that, that the research shows that 24 out of 25 millennials do not possess a biblical worldview. And the most logical solution is to help them understand the role of worldview and then to embrace the biblical worldview. And one of the major biblical worldviews that we as professing Christians must uphold, at least here at Urban Hope, and understand completely is the biblical worldview according to Ephesians 6.12 NOT version. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Your enemies are not natural. Paul says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Physical. You can see us. You can see each other here today. But your real enemy is in the spirit world. He follows you. He watches you. What you watch, what you eat, what you listen to. He encourages you to go put on sexy red. Jesus would never tell you to go listen to sexy red. Not that Jesus is of the Bible, but that spiritual one that you cannot see, he would encourage you to play it to your children. And most Christians don't see anything wrong with it. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, Paul says, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits, Paul says, in the heavenly places. The late great theologian, Dr. Michael Heiser, one of my favorite theologians on these matters, he says in his book, The Unseen Realm, that we've been desensitized to the vitality and the theological importance of the unseen world. That modern Christianity suffers from two serious shortcomings when it comes to the supernatural world. He says the first, many Christians claim to believe in the supernatural, but think and live like skeptics. This is typical of denominations and evangelical congregations outside the charismatic movement for which I come from. We find the talk of the supernatural world uncomfortable. You see this among the reform camps, Baptist people, evangelical denominations, outside the charismatic Pentecostals movement. Start talking about the supernatural, you put the hand, I'm out, man. They just don't have a framework for it, especially in the Presbyterian world that I'm in now. 
But every time you read the Bible, you see it all over the place. And then Michael says, the second serious shortcoming is evident within the charismatic movement, and this is true, it is the elevation of experience over Scripture. You see that all the time in charismatic. It's always a dream. Man, I, I, I'm not going to mess with your dreams. We believe God speaks through dreams. We saw it last week. What about the paper, man? Her, she, whatever. Book. I'm not going to say your dream is not true. It's, oh, man, it's always a dream. But here's what we do know. The Bible is very clear about the unseen world for which we will see today here in Acts 16, verses 24, 16 to 24. It says that they were on their way to prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. R.C. Sproul says prayer is having a discourse with the personal God himself. Have you talked to God? That's the first thing you should do in the morning when you get up before you do anything else, before you start doing TikTok, Twitter, looking at the text message from your girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, what he or she or said on Instagram. You should go to, in a little, find a little place, quiet in your room somewhere, and start talking to God. He says, prayer is having a discourse with God himself to bring my whole life under his gaze. Even though he knows what is already on my mind, R.C. Sproul says, but he still, we still have the privilege of articulating or communicating to him what is there. Even though God already knows what you're going to say, but it's good for you to go and say, you, if you watch me pray, especially when I pray with three or four people, I'll start out by praying what's really on my heart. Sometimes I'm weighted down. Sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I got all kinds of thoughts. I don't just go to God and just bypass all this. I say, God, you know I'm already worried about this. You already know I'm anxious about this situation. I don't even know how to pray about it. Please help me. You know I'm angry at Sandy for whatever the reason. Lord, you know this. I know how this thing works. I've been walking with God for a while. I know if I'm angry at Sandy about anything, there's no need for me to try to bypass that. And you can hear Jesus going, I'm waiting on you. Usually I start confessing, Lord, I should have just shut my mouth. He'll probably say, and you he hear Jesus go, mm-hmm. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Jesus said amen to his own word. Preacher, you saying it good now. I should have shut my mouth. I should have just did what she told me to do. And he go, mm-hmm. And he, give me a Gabriel, give me a high five. He really preaching now. He says, he knows what's there. He says, God beckons us. Come, speak to me. Make your request known to me. So we can come in order to know him and to be known by him. Asking him to direct us, lead us, guide us to his perfect will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Dr. Luke here in the text says that as they were on their way to prayer, they were met by a slave girl, one who is owned by somebody. Scriptures, when they say they're a slave, they're a slave. She's owned by somebody. She has some pimps, some people that own her. Go here, go there today. The scripture says, but she had a spirit of divination. 
meaning one who was working for the kingdom of Satan, the darkness. This Greek phrase or wording here had a spirit, literally reads, she had a Pythian spirit or had a spirit of Python. There was a myth surrounding the python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo. And the Greek legend said that Apollo had killed this great serpent or dragon python. And later on, this word python came to mean a demon-possessed person through whom python, the serpent, spoke. And so we see that this slave girl had demonic supernatural powers because of the demonic possession which enabled her to reveal the future for her clients. Be careful when you go to New Orleans. You might become more than just a saint. <laughs> be careful when you're down on Bourbon Street. A lot of them Slave girls there. I digress. Come back to it, though. She was there to reveal her, the future for her clients. People were coming to her, wanting to know their, whether their future would be good or bad. Hey, what's going to happen in, in 2024? I can see her saying, well, you know, like a typical preacher today, well, you're going to get a big house. Keep going. <laughs> Highly favored of the Lord. <laughs> You're going to get a new job. It's going to pay you six figures. No, it's going to pay you double six figures. Keep going. <laughs> People came to her wanting to know who should they marry. Should I marry this guy? Is he good? Is he the one? Or not to marry? Don't tell us why they were coming to her, but you can feed in. It's nothing different. Same today as it was yesterday. And the Bible says... She brought her owners much gain, mucha, money. The people behind the scenes, the rich and the powerful, she made much money for them. The Bible says through her fortune telling. This Greek word here is myotumai, which means one who is a professional predictor of future events for the sake of a fee. You come to me, I will predict your future. I will tell you, but you got to give me some money. Does that not sound familiar what you see all over YouTube, all the infomercials that we see, all the false prophets who are offering to tell you your future and make all kinds of promises to you of good fortunes, of this and that. And this is why I keep saying it over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. But call me on this hotline, 81-800-whatever, and you're going to have to pay me, cash out me, Venmo me, Zelle me, or whatever it is. I take cash on the spot. And I'll tell you about your future. Nothing new. But I come this morning, saints, 
with this sermon title, and it was named this for a reason, called Discerning of Spirits That War Against Us. We know according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says that some of us have the gift of discerning of spirits. I don't want to get into much of that, but here's what I want to say. I believe all Christians should constantly be growing in spiritual discernment. Me and Brother Dion have these offside conversations. You say, man, that's a, Christians today are, are like dull or something. They're not that. And me and Dion say, man, we understand what Paul stands for those in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 who have the gift of discerning of spirits. But there should just be, like, we're, sometimes we get into arguments in a little group, among groups, and we'll say, and somebody will send a, a, a particular preacher, and me and Dion just look at each other. Like, either I am too old, this beard is messing me up, I'm becoming senile, but some of these preachers that we listening to, bruh, the deafest deaf man in the world, and Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder can tell you that man and that woman is not of God. <laughs> Why are you texting me about this guy that I should listen to him? I can see from a hundred billion miles away. Bruh, that ain't. <laughs> so me and Dion just like, whoa, we got some work to do. So therefore, Christians, we should constantly be growing in our spiritual discernment, which is the ability of recognizing whether or not something is truly from God. In according to with God's righteousness. This is important for us to know and to understand. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and 15, it says that Satan, the one that you can't see, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And also his servants, Paul says, they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They look like they're from God. They sound like they're from God, but they're not of God. They're of Satan. And they're disguising themselves as, as people of the light. Could be some among us today. Don't look. Don't look to your neighbor, to your right, your left. That's just a comment. <laughs> just like, you know, don't look. <laughs> and what we see here on this second missionary trip, that Satan switches up his strategy by trying to infiltrate the gospel on the front end by trying to form an apparent alliance with the mission work of proclaiming the true gospel. His end game is to distort the gospel enough where the gospel becomes no gospel at all. You see this happening all the time in churches. They start out conservative, holding to the word of God, preaching the word of God. They put a certain elder on the team, certain deacon on the team. Next thing you know, they get a grown pastor. They invite, they don't ask all the right questions. Next thing you know, the guy, he's saying certain things. He's doing certain things. Next thing you know, 10 years later, he says, it's not Urban Hope that I knew a pastor out who started the church. What happened? Well, Satan sent his missionaries to 
They get in leadership. Next thing you know, you're throwing a full-blown Holy Ghost demonic party here at the church. You might even invite Simple Red, Sexy Red here to give a keynote speaking. And then y'all know, if I was here, there was no way Sexy Red or King Von or any of them rappers, amigos, or whoever you want to call the egos, would ever be here. Not preaching, unless they get saved. So Satan is trying to do something here in the text. And verse 17 says, this woman with the divination, spirit of divination, says, and she followed Paul and us. So she's following. Well, you want people to follow, be disciples, to be followers of Christ. So she's following. And then look what she says. Crying out, she says, these men are servants of the Most High God. Nothing wrong with that. That's true. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Oh, better truth. It can get any better truth than that. They're servants of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Nothing is wrong with that. Then look what happens. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Walking around, following Paul, Silas, Timothy, Dr. Luke. These men are the most high God. And they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But the word of God says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed. The Greek word there, he's disturbed. He's angry. He's a walk. He's, you know, he's like discerning of spirit. He's like, it's something, you know, something not right. Let me get back over here. <laughs> something not right. One of the ways I do this as a pastor here is through my wife. I ask her, what do you think about that person? What's your intuition? She's been riding with me day one before all of this came about. When I was going to throw in the towel, there wasn't no sound system, there wasn't no DJ, there wasn't no cross, there wasn't no band, there wasn't no nothing. And you better believe it. When I go home and I say, hey, what do you think about this person, this or that? What's your sense? Because sometimes God always speaks to her and she'll say, you need to Think I don't, okay, I'm watching. Now, I may not say nothing, but I'm watching. First lady spoke. So Paul walking. And I, wow, he says, man, this, this spirit right here is just irking me. And the Bible says, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. What's going on here? This kind of approach from Satan is very difficult for the most faithful preacher, woman, man of God, Christian, to resist. I'm going to make it plain. Y'all know I like to land the plane. It's happening even now in this room. It's very difficult. 
Satan doesn't use the same strategies all the time. So what Luke is trying to tell us, for many days she's following Paul. Theologians, why you don't just address this on the first day? Look at what she's saying. She's saying all the right stuff. Let me make a couple of points here from this. This kind of approach from Satan is difficult to resist because it seems harmless. Just letting her go on saying what she is saying. There's no harm in it. We would think, well, she's saying the right stuff. She's not saying anything bad. She's not saying we're, we're of the devil. She's saying we're men of God. I get called that all the time. Hey, man of God, you want to come up here first? Whatever, you know, we get it all the time. So there's no harm in it. She says we, we are servants of the most high God who proclaims the way of salvation. It's not that big of a deal that her prophecies and her ability to know intimate things about people are coming from the dark side. She says we are servants of God, of the most high, no big problem, even though she's getting it from the spirit of Python, from Satan himself. Is it not true what she said about you and your mama that y'all not getting along? Is it not true that she told you that you was going to meet this guy at this place at this time, that he was going to be this high, this tall, and make this amount of money, and all those things came to be true? What's the problem, Pastor Alton? I met her on Bourbon Street. She read my palms. What's the big deal? He's my husband. Everything she said came to be true. He's six feet six. No children. Says he loves Jesus. Even though he's only been in church like three times in his whole life. We keep going. Give some modern day examples. It's okay. Preacher, faithful preacher like myself, preachers at a church, bear with me, that embraces same-sex marriage, bear with me, don't run out, that embraces the current worldview of gender, because the pastor there and the church leader that is there say they believe in Jesus as well. Oh, that's a tricky one. You hear Christians say, well, they say they believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus, they believe in Jesus, but they marry two men, two women, and they believe there are a plethora of genders. I believe there are two genders, male and female. They say they believe there are more than two genders. They send me an email, Pastor Hardy, would you come and preach in our church? Would you align with us? What's wrong? I believe in Jesus too. I believe he's loving He's good. Jesus, why would Jesus, why would, why would Jesus give me these desires and not be of him? Great question. Oh, I'm about to mess with you now. You know, in the planes that put your seatbelt on, I know we don't have seatbelts in those comfortable chairs, but just make believe in your sanctification and imagination of your mind that you have a seatbelt and the plane is going through some turbulence through over the Atlantic Ocean. 
Y'all ready? Here we go. Whoo, Jesus, help me right now. Here we go. Pastor, is it okay to practice this Eastern mystical pagan rituals because we can just make it holy because we are Christians, you know? Here we go. I.e., Freemasonry, woke gospel. It sounds like the gospel. They should pay me up. They did me wrong. Give me all your money. Though I can't find it in the text, but you know, woke gospel. Oh, here's another one. Greek fraternities. Miles Crowd, please don't beat me up. Let me hide behind this thing. Malcolm, I need you to come up and be my bodyguard, bro. We drink some water right quick. Greek fraternities. Oh, here's a tough one. Yoga. An enneagram. That's a new one going through the church. He said, Pastor, are you just messing with us today? That's what pastors do. They shepherd the flock. Let me give you some facts on the Enneagram. What Christians should know about the Enneagram, August 8th, 2018, by Joe Carter on the Gospel Coalition. You can go read it yourself. And you, just, you just put in there, that's one of the resources that we've told you you should go to a lot called the Gospel Coalition. There's all kinds of articles there, videos, and et cetera. The Enneagram is what Christians should know about the Enneagram. Here we go. I'm probably going to mess with some of these guys' names, but bear with me. He says, the earliest mention of the Enneagram is found in the writings of the Russian occultist, occult, dark secret world, divination. His name was P.D. Ospensky, who attributes it to his teacher, the Greek-American occultist, Georges Gurdjieff, something like that. Gurdjieff considered the Enneagram a symbol of the cosmos, but made no connection with it to personality types. It was left to another occultist, Oscar Ichazo, to connect the Enneagram to the personality. Ichazo claimed to have discovered the personality type meaning of the Enneagram when it was taught to him by the archangel Metroton while he was high on mescaline, psychedelic drugs. He's higher than a kite, as my mama would say. And he gets this vision from this archangel called Metroton. And then one of Echazo's students a Chilean-born psychiatrist named Claudia Narango, here again, another occultist, was the first to connect the nine points of the Enneagram to nine basic personality types. Narango also appears to be the one to connect the mention of the Enneagram by Gerdoff and Ospensky to ancient sources. Hmm. Occultist. Occultists, occultists. Discerning of spirits and Christians just run into it. You can go on YouTube and look at ex-Hindus who are Christians and they would say over and over again, people who were teachers of yoga, it says, don't do it. And Christians just assume, especially American Christians, remember when I said we don't have a high 
understanding of the spirit world. Let me keep going. Back to the text. But what happens when Christians stay on mission, stay on guard, and do not seek to be accommodated by the world and make alliances with spirits and powers of darkness in order to seem relevant? Because a lot of this accommodation and, 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 and forming alliances, I want to be relevant, I want to be accepted by the world. But what happens when we don't do that? When the rich and those who are in power, power positions start to hate you because of the gospel message and people start to turn to Jesus, therefore turning away from all the soothsayers and strip clubs and porn sites and demonic hip-hop and rock concerts, turning away from false gospel fortune messages of hope. We stay on message. We don't give in to, we don't make an alliance with the slave girl who has a spirit of divination. Even though she's saying all the right things. But what happens when we don't do that? We don't give in to the self-help stuff that's running around. Do you not know self-help um, books has tripled from 20, 2013 to 2019? In 2020, the industry was worth $10.5 billion. Now it is one of the fastest growing nonfiction categories. The self-help industry is predicted to grow in 2025 to $14 billion. Guess who's driving it? Guess what's demographic and what generation is driving the self-help industry? Take a guess. Take a guess. That's what it is. What generation do you think it is? Who? Say it loud. I can't. Millennials. You have no problem with the soothsayer. She's giving me all the self-help I need. It'll help me out. But I want to end the plane, land the plane here. There are some takeaways that are very important for me to text. Spirit of God had me to write down. Here we go. First of all, Christianity is a kingdom which declares a message that is not of this world. It is not of this world. And the first takeaway that you need to understand here this morning, therefore, as a Christian, you should expect the kingdom of darkness to afflict physical and spiritual warfare against us under the providence of God. Using rich and powerful people. Verses 19 to 20. Let's go there. It says, but when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, these rich people who was pimping this slave girl, when they saw that their hope of making money was gone, some of us think that when we walk into these communities, we're going against our title loans and all these crookery all around these poor inner city environments. We come in with the gospel and we think they just going to hand clap because we're here. We're trying to free people up from, from, from economic bondage and slavery and deception. These people are making millions of dollars of poor people. And when these people saw that their hope of money was gone. Look at what happened. They seized Paul. They didn't say, hey, come over for dinner. Let me give you 
Let me prophesy to you. No, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said to these men, are Jews. They brought them and said that they were Jews. They seized them. And said that they were Jews, they were Christians. And that they were disturbing our city. Second takeaway. The gospel is countercultural. It is an upside down way of living. And it goes directly against all the values and principles of this world that is passing away. Romans 12, 1 and 2, but Romans 12, 1. It says, do not copy, NLT version, the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Read verse 21. Look at what happens. Look at what these people in, 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 in Philippi say to, to about these people called the Jews who are, who are Christians. They say, and they advocate, and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. What Paul's over there saying, there's one man, one woman, to death do us part. We've been sleeping with anything we want to sleep with. Who are you to come in here and tell me that I can't sleep with a little boy today? That's what's happening in the culture. It's, it's not Christian culture yet. Paul's coming in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people say, you're not going to come in here and preach different practices and different customers. They are not what the Romans are used to doing. Romans do what we want to do. Jay-Z shirts say, what thou will, I will do. These Christians are coming in saying one man, one woman, two genders. He said, who are you to think you are? And this is where Christians want to accommodate. I want to be like. But verse 21, they say these people accused them saying they're disturbing our city. They're advocating customs that we've never heard before. What do you mean you tell me I can't sleep with a little baby? Sign of freedom. Where you get that law from, Paul? Silas? Young Timothy? What's your name, Timothy? You have whatever? What, what are you saying? What are you talking about? So you got to get in the text. The kingdom message of Christianity is an upside down. It's not what your friends want to hear. That sex outside of marriage is wrong. Not because of PA. Jesus Christ, the author of all life. Third takeaway. I don't have time to go there. I got to get this thing done. Oh, man, help me, Lord. Third takeaway. This is important because it's going to lead me right into communion. Page 1072, but you don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to you. John 15, 18 to 21. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, it, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all things they will do to you on, on account of my name, Jesus says, because they do not know him who sent me. And so here he says, verse 22 to 24. The crowd joined. First it was the powers that be, the rulers, the rich people. And now it says, verse 22, and the crowd joined in attacking them. Why do you think the crowd is joining in? Because of what happened in verse 20. You're coming against our customs. Now everybody, the whole city of Fairfield, rich, poor, and everybody in between, join in and attacking them. The whole Philippi and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders. Here it is, Christians, you should. Now, I'm telling you what the Lord telling me. I mean, Y'all can see it coming. If you believe in Gen Z, we're going into a post-Christian. You can feel it. I don't know if it's going to go to this extent, but what's coming is not going to go away overnight. And the word of God says, and they beat them with rods. You ever been hit with a rod? Verse 23, and they inflicted them with many blows. I can hear Timothy say, man, I'm young. <laughs> Paul, you said Jesus said we need to expect this? I can hear Paul say, man, I'm getting hit too. Knots all over his head. They're being beaten. Don't overlook that. With rods. They threw them in the prison and ordered them to be put in the heart of the prison. Here's my last point. Evil spirits of the age are strategically infiltrating the church. But we must be like the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Dr. Luke by holding to the promises of Jesus to all believers. Jesus gives us this promise from, from Matthew 10, 23, 26 to 33. Here Jesus says, the great shepherd. So have no fear. Please don't be fearful this morning. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Jesus keeps saying, please, he says, do not fear those here. He says, hey, please listen to me, millennials and Gen Z's and everybody else. He says, please. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, please, he says, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Jesus goes on, great shepherd talk, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Jesus says, you won't die without my will. I, I'm not promising you that you will never be beaten by, with rods by people who hate God and it's coming. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, Jesus says, therefore you are more valued than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, don't deny me. Don't accommodate. Don't give in. Why is that important? 
Because Jesus, he did not accommodate and make alliances with the world and the rich and the powerful leaders in his day. He could have. Y'all going to do what? We're going to stretch you wide and hang you low. Huh? You going to do what? We're going to stretch you wide and we're going to hang you low. You going to crucify me? Can y'all meet at 6 p.m. at my house, dinner on me, we eat lamb, pork chops? Can we accommodate and so I don't have to go through this? He doesn't do that. He doesn't make alliance with the spirit of divination of the age. Here's what happens with Jesus. Now I'm at the table. He didn't make an alliance. He didn't give in to the spirit of the age. Paul tells us, about this communion meal. He said, I've received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night, on the night when he was betrayed by Judas, he was betrayed. He did not make alliances. He knew the world was going to hate him. The night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says, on the night when I was going to be betrayed, they was going to kill me. They was going to beat me. They was going to do all kinds of things to me. I did not make alliances with the evil one. I said, nevertheless, your will be done. I want to encourage you. Don't make alliances. Remember what Jesus did. Then it says, in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus knew they was going to kill him. His blood was going to be shed. And he says to us, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. My shed blood for all of my children. As we come to the table to drink of this cup, Jesus, I made covenant with you. I died for you. I sacrificed for you. I did not make an alliance with Satan. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of what I've done for you. Powerful. I was thinking about this, Lord, you, you could have made alliances. I've seen so many people in my world. And let me say this because I'm, you know, I'm coming to the table. Pastor Hart, have you been in places and positions where you've almost made alliances? I have. Satan is always offering shortcuts. No one of the things I'm about to choke up. I said, Lord, if I'm, because I didn't want to be a pastor. I saw too much pastors messing around, so I never wanted to do this. And I didn't think I had the best voice for it and everything else. And so, and in my process into ministry, I kept being told, you're a hard preacher. You preach the truth. And so in the early days, it went this crowd. And so along the way, Satan said, if you just back up, if you just stop saying things, if you just be more like Joe Osteen, I will let your church grow really fast in Birmingham, Fairfield. You have the biggest church in Birmingham. I would be lying to you if I did not consider that. Because I know many that do. And your church will grow fast. 
doors open, nobody leaves, because it's all health and wealth. But then Jesus, this meal, what he did, he didn't give in. He didn't give health and wealth. He gave the truth. And so be it. And so I say these words before I pray. Elders, you can come. Who should take this meal? And you should only take this meal here today if you're a true believer. If you're not a true believer, I would tell you to refrain from this. This meal is for those who understand the gospel. Not saying you're perfect, but you understand that you believe in your heart that you died today, that you would be with Jesus because you put your faith and trust in him. If you say, I've got more faith in the slave girl with the spirit of divination, then I would say refrain. That's another spirit. That's not the spirit of Jesus. But if you have a, say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, then you table is for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask, thank you for this word. Now if we're about to take off these elements. We ask that you bless it. That you would nourish our hearts here today for what you have done for us. That you never made any alliances with the evil one of this world, the kingdom of Satan. Knowing full well that you was going to sacrifice your life. That you was going to be beaten bruised, spread upon, and everything else. But that on the third day, you was going to rise again for the remission of our sins so that we could be saved and be able to take this meal here today in confidence. Bless us, Lord. Strengthen us to, as we come to partake, not to give in to the world that's around us. Help these millennials and Gen Zs to run a good fight of faith. For the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, guys, I went over a little bit, but had to get that last part of the word out. We were taking all at one time, so you can just go back to your seat and just remain there, and we'll all take together.
reason I sung it a few weeks ago. It's a good song to remind yourself to sing when you're going through suffering. That we love Jesus more than anything. But why? Why do we love him so much? Because when we come to this table, we get reminded that Jesus loved us so much. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I said he never made any compromise. When I've been tempted to compromise, I'm reminded that Jesus didn't compromise. When he was in front of Pilate, he didn't. And so when we take this bread, just know that your salvation was made possible because he endured the shame. He endured it all naked before that cross, the Son of God, perfect Lamb of God. So brothers and sisters, as you partake of this, be reminded that his body was bruised and beaten on the sake of us so that we could become the children of God. You may eat. He makes covenant with us. Man, I really love this because say this a lot. Y'all young. There be moments in your life as a Christian things will go left. You don't mean for them to go left, but they will. You'll make mistakes. You'll sin. You'll break the heart of God. You say, man, I didn't know this was in me. And you'll wonder to yourself that the devil was staying over you. So you're not a child of God. Don't ever go back to church. Don't ever go set foot in the doors of Urban Hope Community Church. This is where you had to know the gospel. Because Jesus didn't save you because he knew that you would never sin again. He saved you because he just loves you. And when you've been moments where you're thinking and doubting God's love, and God says, every time you come to this table, I want you to remember, I didn't save you and love you because you was going to always do good. I made covenant with you. I married you. Put my seal upon you. You take this wine. You remember what I said. Covenant in my blood. I'm a covenant making God. Meaning I will never leave you. I will never abandon you on your worst day. When you've made the worst mistake of your life. Jesus stands over you today. He says, you're my son and you're my daughter because of what I've done, not because of what you did. Drink, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.